You're listening to Left of the Dial. I'm your host, Kitsy, and with me once again is the unacceptable Caleb Coy. <laughs> what? That's so rude. I know, but that's... And here I was, I was going to tell you again how much I like your glasses, but... Unacceptable. Then you were rude. I'm, Unacceptable. It, you know, it was the next word on the list. I'm sorry. I just, I just, I usually scroll through and try to find a good one, and it was just the next one on the list, and I wasn't very prepared today. So, fine. So I apologize. Uh, <laughs> un- unlike, unlike my intro, I find you quite acceptable. Oh well, thank you. <laughs> uh, cool. So uh, we have uh, some special guests with us once again this week. Uh, we actually have uh, Kiri and Heidi from Early Riser. Welcome. Thank you. Hello. Hi. Hello. Thanks for having us. Thanks for being here. Uh, do y'all just want to uh, mention who you are so that people can get a, a name with the voice and what you do in the band? Sure. Hi, I'm Kiri Oliver. Um, I write the songs and sing and play guitar and occasionally keyboards uh, in Early Riser. And I'm Heidi, uh, Heidi Vanderly. I play the cello and I sing. And uh, also, yeah, that's it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Couldn't think of anything else. No worries. That's that's fantastic. And you're here with us this week because you have a new record that's out today called Vocations. And we actually just heard the title track of that uh, to kick the podcast off. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the song and and maybe why you picked it as the first single? Sure. Yeah. I mean, as you hear at the beginning of the song, it starts by saying, what do you do? What do you really do? And that came out of, you know, my frustration with that kind of old American tradition of asking people what they do and having that mean just their day job. And as Mm -hmm. you know, like most artists or at least many artists um, have separate work that pays the bills from what we care about and what we really like to do. And, um, yeah, just kind of like shifting the conversation away from what people do for work to what people really care about is important to me. And you know, that that can just be encapsulated in what you decide to do with a single day. Like, you know, being a musician is just about like being a musician today. Like, am I going to pick up the guitar for five minutes? Am I like, what am I going to do for that? You know, and just that just sort of a reminder to myself that for the things that I care about, I only have to just like do a little, you know, it's not about being famous or like proving anything, just like committing to the practice of doing it is what makes you um, an artist or, or anything that you want to be. I think it also introduces a theme which shows up a few times on the record, which is like cut the shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like we're Tyler, we're, let's just get to it. What are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kind of noticed that it was uh, it was very much like let's just get down to the real stuff was kind of seemed like an ongoing theme throughout the record, which I really enjoyed. And I know this song has a video that's been out for, for a little bit now as well, which is a pretty interesting concept actually. We, um, yeah. So, uh, Kiri and I, for a long time, were the music bookers on the Chris Gethard show with our friend Zane. And we met all these amazing people and we knew we wanted to do a music video, but we had basically no idea. (laughs) Or I didn't have, no, actually, Kiri had some ideas. I had zero. And um, <laughs> Jess Lane, so Jess Lane is a great comedian and video artist and animator that we met during our time on that show. And I was just like, I think Jess would have a good idea for this. And she just like out of her brain pulled this idea for us to be astronauts in space who were super bored. <laughs> and um, we came up all of the stuff that we do in the video is kind of based on our real lives, but um, I don't think 
I did not, I genuinely couldn't figure out like what it would look like. I I just could not visualize what it would look like. And of course that's why we let her do that. (laughs) Nice. And we, it was really fun. We had a good time. We all shot it uh, remotely on Zoom. So it's like we would set up our, she would set up the shot on our phones and then kind of direct us through Zoom. And all four of us just did it from our homes. That's so cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. We'll make sure to put a uh, link to that video in the show notes as well if uh, if anyone wants to check yeah, that I've out. Yeah, I've already grabbed that from my uh, my notes. I, I watched it earlier because I saw it in the uh, uh, in the, the preview package that we had. It's so much fun. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Yeah, we were really happy to be able to put out a video. Like for our last record, we made two incredible videos with this director, Drew Kaufman, who was also someone from the comedy scene that we met kind of through our time on the Chris Gethard show. And, you know, it's just a... A bummer in some ways to put out a record when things are still locked down and you can't do everything you normally want to do, which is, of course, play shows, but also make videos because that's just for us a mm-hmm. really fun thing to do and a great way to, um, you know, express our vision for the song, kind of who we are. So the fact that we still got to do that remotely with someone super talented and put out a video that we love and are proud of is uh, is really cool. I feel really lucky. Yeah, I've seen a few different approaches to doing like fully remote uh, music videos, and this is one of the the more interesting and creative ones that I've seen. And uh, yeah, y'all should definitely be very proud of it. There were so many fun outtakes too. Like both of my cats floated around at one point, <laughs> um, but o- only one of them made it into the video, which is a actually one of our traditions. Is one of my cats has to yes. be in the video? Is it always the same one or just? Just one different one. The the yeah. star of the other ones has sadly left us. Oh, but no. um, oh, her no. yeah, she was great. But um, her younger brother made a no. No, wait, no. Priya's in this one. Whoops, sorry, Riley. <laughs> He'll never be in a video. Next I guess. time. Next Aww. time. <laughs> Next <Yeah>. time. <laughs> you just have to keep doing videos till you run out of cats. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then get more cats and make more videos. Right. That's mm-hmm. how that works. Yep. Ex- exactly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so you mentioned you're both the the music bookers for the Chris Gethard show. That's awesome. I have always uh, enjoyed the music on that show. Uh, so I just wanted to say personally, like, good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was um, that was really fun. Uh, it Sadly, it uh, R.I.P. the Chris Gethard show, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, a few years back. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, Kiri and I met because we were booking shows together um, through a feminist collective that basically that's how we met. And we were like, you know how like in a collective, like, there's supposed to be like nine people working on something, but it's usually like two. Yeah. And you were those two. (laughs) We were the two. (laughs) And then, uh, our friend Zane, who is in this band mind troll, which still exists and is the greatest band. Um, they, they had played on an early episode of the Chris Gethard show on Cape on public access. And he sat us down in a whole foods and he was like, they just asked me to be the music booker, but I have no time. <laughs> and we were both like, we have no time either, but between the three of us, we should be able to get this done. And we did. That's awesome. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think changed all of our lives. You know, when, when you just enter into a, a new creative endeavor with so many just interesting, weird people who are making this thing together. You know, you just make all these connections and find new things to be involved in and just opened up this really cool world that combined comedy and music. We were really lucky because we got to basically do whatever we wanted in terms of like who we booked. And then when we were on real TV, like we had to like, because we were on like public access and mm-hmm. then we were on two different cable networks. And, like, the standards and practices, people would always get kind of nervous. Or not always, but, like, some week. Like, we had Mannequin Pussy on, like, way back. Like, they were not 
really mannequin pussy yet. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like they were amazing, but people weren't, they weren't as big as they are now. Right. And I, re- I remember the standards and practices. People were kind of like, so Carrie, do you remember when they were like, there needs to be a plastic cat mm-hmm. somewhere. They're like, if there's a cat <laughs> mannequin on stage, then maybe we can let the name slide. Cause oh, that's what it. it will imply that's- that the name is. And eventually they, I think they did just allow the name to be said, but not the cat mannequin. That's, I was, I, it legitimately at first was like, why would they need a cat on stage? Yeah. <laughs> it was really strange and funny. And I think we had one musical guest who literally just, they couldn't air it. <laughs> what happened? Uh, it's kind of my fault, but like just the <laughs> lyrics were so, the lyrics were like, it was before we were running all the lyrics by S&P. Mm. And then after that, we ran all the lyrics by S&P. Okay. If you bleep too much, then there's just like nothing to put on air. That's that's reasonable. Yeah. I can I can see where that would be. At some point, it just becomes better just to cut it. Yeah, that was not great, and I felt really bad because the artist was amazing, but should happen. That's that's such a bummer. Yeah. Uh, so is that? Did y'all meet Mikey Erg through that, or did you know him before? Like, how did that? Because uh, he plays drums for you. Yeah, we met through that. He was, of course, in the house band, the LLC, and. Yeah, we just had such a hard time finding a permanent lineup for this band. Like, Heidi and I were playing as a duo for a while, and then we got sick of being talked over at punk shows, and we're like, we need a band! Uh, But it was just, you know, everyone's in a million bands. It's really hard to Mm -hmm. find people who can commit to a whole band. Um, So we would just kind of play with whoever was around. We had kind of a rotating lineup. Eventually, we decided to just make our first record with whoever was willing to record with us. Um, But then at some point, I don't remember how it actually came about, like... You know, Mikey's in so known for being in so many bands that people don't think to ask him to play with them. Yeah. But it's like he's not ever in as many at one time as people talk about. He's not like in a thousand bands at once. You know, he's in a few. But right. um, somehow it came about that we did end up asking him if he would uh, play with us. And he said yes. So uh, first awesome. it was just like for for shows. Um, and then after a while, once we uh brought in our bassist Nicole like we kind of said to both of them hey like this is working really well do you want to you know officially be in the band and write the next record with us and and they were down so that it's really awesome that's so cool and is that this record yes cool so this is like the first record with this like permanent lineup yes then is that that's awesome yeah Uh, well speaking of the record uh, why don't we talk about another song Uh, I believe the next one that y'all had on your list was Skeleton do you know
skeleton is just about something that I think has probably happened to a lot of non-dude musicians is that like you think that somebody wants to collaborate with you musically or artistically and it turns out they're just like weirdly hitting on you it's a bummer yeah this happened to (laughs) this happened to me when we were on the road and yeah someone we were going to play with um had proposed that we work together and I was just super excited because that's just something that I love I love collaborating I always want to be asked to work with people And then the situation just got really weird and everyone just kind of saw that this person was treating me uh, not like an equal or a collaborator, but more like Mm -hmm. a potential conquest or whatever. And it just made me really uncomfortable. And and I was disappointed, you know, like first and foremost, because I wanted to collaborate. And I just it just made me feel so angry and sick. The idea that like I wasn't being seen the way. I wanted to be seen in the way I would see anyone else that I was going into that kind of relationship with. Um, and I just think it's, yeah, it's really unfair. And that kind of thing contributes to, you know, inequalities and uneven playing fields in, in music scenes. You know, if people who have the power are treating people who don't have power as if they're somehow different, you know, or they want different things from them than they'd want from anyone else that they'd work with. Yeah. I, I can see how that would be, just incredibly exhausting to to have to deal with that and to, to have to even like approach like approach a situation of, of like is this person being genuine like do they just want to collaborate with me because you know they enjoy what I'm doing or like is there some alternative motive there and like having to always have that guard up I, I can imagine is just terrible yeah yeah and it's and it's hard to know where to like draw those boundaries right like if like we had talked about um working together, but then I was getting like texts that seemed kind of flirty, but then, you know, so how do you know when you should like try to shut someone down or clarify that it's just professional when you really do want to get that opportunity. And it's just, you know, as we just heard about in so many industries from politics to acting, you know, uh, women especially get in situations where they feel really uncomfortable and have to sort of decide between their own comfort and professional opportunities. And no one should ever be in that situation. That being said, um, we've also met some wonderful people who have wanted to collaborate with us in real ways. And, you know, like just off the top of my head, like Derek Sinetti, um, Homeless Gospel Choir, is like one of the best people we've met. Um, we toured together. We love him. He loves us. We support each other. And, um, you know, it's it's really, I feel so lucky because there's so many people we've met that I would have never met if it wasn't for this band. And when you get to collaborate with someone who you really respect, it just feels great. It just sucks that, like, I think the reason that this was so upsetting to us was because it hadn't really happened that much. So when it did, we were just like, what the fuck? Yeah, it was kind of an anomaly because, yeah, like Heidi said, most of the people that we've met in this scene are really awesome. And that's why we're in it, you know? Yeah. And I imagine, too, that, like, you were saying, like, where do you draw that line? And, like, when do you, like, set that boundary? And I imagine that's got to be a really delicate thing because you know, at a certain point, you know, you, you kind of have to weigh, like, if I set this boundary, is that, is this person not going to collaborate with me anymore? And like, is that going to kind of torpedo this opportunity? And like, how much of this, you know, do I have to put up with to, to make this work? And I, I just, I can't imagine like having to navigate that. That sounds just terrible. I'm so sorry that that happens. So I guess the, the, the question I have then is there's the, the line in the song, uh, you know, I'm an equal, not an opportunity. I love that line, but listening to it, I kind of took it as in like a play on like equal opportunity as in like, you know, I don't want to be just another like diversity, 
you know, like, oh, we'll get, you know, a girl to do this thing. So it's like diverse or whatever. Uh, but now having heard you say, you know, that, that um, this person was, was you know, treating you like some kind of like conquest, like I'm, I'm now seeing like the opportunity and like the, the way of saying like, you know, I'm not an opportunity for, you know, whatever it is that, that this person's after. So I'm wondering, is was that like an intentional play on words there? Or am I just reading something that's not there? Like, how did that, uh, how did that come about? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a play on the idea of equal opportunity and that you're not getting an equal opportunity if someone is treating you, like, as you said, an opportunity yeah. for whatever, like, personal thing they mm-hmm. want to get out of it. But I, yeah, I really like the other meaning that you uh, heard in it, too. That's definitely, I think, part of this and also comes up on a song that we'll talk about later, the narrator. Um, yeah, just that idea that everyone should have truly equal opportunities in the scene and, and what gets in the way of that. This song is about something that happened to Kiri. So, like, while I know what it feels like because it's happened to me, too, like, this was... I just remember when this happened. And I remember how much of a bummer it was. So, um, yeah, it it just sucks. But um, at the same time, I think I think for us, what is nice is that for every one person like this, there's usually been, like, three that are not. Um, not discounting what happened. It shouldn't happen. But... Um, yeah, it, it it was not great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely good to hear that that's not the norm in the experience that you have. Uh, I know that 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 kind of thing is entirely too uh, rampant in, like you said, in any scene. But I feel like in in music scenes in particular, and like people need to fucking stop it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just make art. Don't be shitty. If you're shitty, get out. Yes. I like that. <laughs> Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Make art. Don't be shitty. I agree. And like those like hardcore, hardcore band block letters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's do and it. And then on the back, if you're <laughs> shitty, get out. <laughs> I agree. I'm Which is like, you know, opposite to my experience. I remember like growing up going to hardcore shows and stuff and, and I would just like politely ask men three times my size not to maybe kick me in the head. And they'd be like, if you don't like it, you can leave. And it's like, no, no, no. Like, that's not the way that it should go. That yeah. I'm the one who has to leave if I don't like being kicked in the head when I'm just asking you to be polite. Yeah. At the risk of soapboxing for even the briefest of moment, I don't even understand how hardcore still a genre. <laughs> like, how do people still feel that, like, that level of aggression is necessary? You know what? It, that's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> we can do an episode on that later, Caleb, if you want. I've gotten myself in trouble with that in the past. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I know I know they're not exactly a hardcore band, but like one of my favorite bands to go see live is Fucked Up. And um, like sometimes there'll be a bit of a circle pit at that on their shows. And I'm I think it was at Bowery Ballroom or either Music Hall or Bowery Ballroom. And I was like standing on the edge of the pit because like I wanted to watch the show. Right. And some guy, and I was like, some guy just like full on, just like fell over on me. And I just, and then I fell over and then like, I like sort of, it was, it hurt so bad, but I like somehow like sort of rubber banded back from the floor. And then I dumped my water on his head. Just a reflex. Good for you. It was just, I, I didn't even, I wasn't even thinking it was just a reflex. I was just like, I fell down. Now I'm up. I'm pouring this on your head. Get the fuck away from me. And that guy stayed the fuck away from me. Good. Good. Lesson learned. (laughs) Message received. (laughs) I've never been, but I'm trying to picture a pit at the Bowery and it just doesn't, it doesn't feel right. There's not enough room. (laughs) It's not very big. So, I mean, I don't know, like have fun at shows or whatever, but it was, it was half like, this is stupid and half, I'm just, I'm fucking too old. Get off. (laughs) (laughs) 
get away from me. I think it's it's unfortunate, right? Because there's a line. I think there's a line between like enjoying the music and letting go and having a good time. And then I think there's there's a certain like demographic of people that that go to hardcore shows and, you know, more aggressive music because they want to get their aggression out in a way that's not like healthy. And it kind of like takes advantage of other people around that are there to enjoy the music. And I think that's unfortunate. And it's it sounds like uh, sounds like you've had some run ins with those kind of people. Yeah, my friend Desi said it best. Like, if your good time is making someone else have a bad time, like maybe reexamine that. Yes, yeah, I like that. That's another T-shirt. That's... Do that. <laughs> yep. The other thing she said was, "Men, please go to therapy." <laughs> you know, I I don't disagree. I've I've long been an advocate that I think everyone could benefit from therapy at some point in their lives. It's just helpful. Yeah. Like you'll probably just everyone will feel better. Yeah. <laughs> like, Everyone did it at least once. I think we'd have a much better society. Unfortunately, it seems like the demographic of people that could use it the most are also that demographic people that are like, I don't fucking need therapy and, you know, avoid it like the plague. So which apparently, as we found out the last year, people don't do. Um, I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, Yeah. Uh, We we got to retire that phrase. We got to retire that phrase because as it turns out, uh, people do not, in fact, do that. Uh, <laughs> no, people ran towards the plague with arms outstretched. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is uh, oof, that's a whole other thing we could rant about for <laughs> for a long time. But uh, for at least a year, for at least a year, <laughs> yeah, if not more. It's been um, so. Yeah, that's so that's another interesting question. Is like you know, being a band now is is so weird because it, on one hand you've got more access to release and promote music and reach people than ever before. Um, and that's an amazing thing. But at the same time, you also can't do the thing that bands do, which is play music together in front of people. And how have y'all been navigating that? And like, what's, you know, what's it been like putting a record out in the middle of a pandemic when you can't tour and you can't play shows to promote it? It's hard. Um, but I'm glad, actually, that we're releasing it now instead of last year. I mean, it was it was pretty much ready to go, and we were going to release it last spring, but um, we ended up waiting, and I feel better releasing it in this moment when things are kind of starting to turn around, and obviously mm-hmm. the pandemic is still really bad, but, like, people are starting to feel more positive, and it felt like the right time to be kind of bringing this positive record into the world. Um, but, yeah, it's hard. I mean, I barely played music last year. Uh, we didn't have our practice space. I don't usually play in my house. So the number of times I picked up my guitar is embarrassingly small. Um, and it was just, it's a weird year to like, be like, yeah, I'm a musician. The most important thing to me is music. And yet, like, I'm just working and trying to get through the day like everyone else, you know, and barely leaving my house. And it's just, it's hard. Um, but like, it doesn't make you less of a musician if you're not able to do it in that moment. You know, like we're all just adapting and, um, Heidi and I eventually played some streams, which were fun. You know, we got to have a national and international audience and it's cool to get to connect through those streams with people who normally wouldn't get to see you live because we may not ever get to the places where some of those people live on tour. Um, yeah. So it's kind of both, like you said, you know, you can reach people and find ways to connect with them. But ultimately, like, we just like playing with our friends and we miss our friends. And we miss shows. But, um, yeah, we're still grateful for the opportunity to get our music out there, hopefully connect with some folks through that. And, uh, and then at some point we'll get to play them live. 
I remember yeah. a year ago, people saying like, oh, there's going to be so much art and music that comes out of this because people are just going to have so much time and like really like everyone's just like processing so much. And like, I, I feel like a lot of people, like you said, it, it just not like either found or taken or felt that they could take the time or, or found the motivation to do anything creative because there's so much else to process. Like... I would say that this past year has definitely given me some things in terms of being able to kind of like look at my life and like figure out what's important and, you know, priorities. I think a lot of people did that, like, and I made some really big changes in my life. So that was cool. There were a lot of things that I got to do and and change that I probably wouldn't have if I wasn't given the space that I got in the past year. But like going to shows is a huge part of my life. Um, it's a huge part of a lot of our lives. Playing shows is a huge part of our life. And like, even I, so I drove to Arizona to see my grandmother because like for Thanksgiving, cause like it's a long story, but I just, I just did it. Yeah. And I was like, I was like Instagramming like the weird, you know, pit stops and travel plazas I was at. And Mikey texted me and he was like, your photos are making me miss tour so much. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. totally get that. <laughs> Like I was just at every time I saw loves, I stopped, you know, like, and, um, and I was over it by like two days, but <laughs> right. I, I did, but I did get to go to a sheets, which was very exciting. Yes. Uh, I, in, in spite of the fact that I live in Philly and much to all of my Philly friends, chagrin, I am very much a sheets person. Uh, <laughs> oh shit. Yeah. I know. I mean, like, I'm, you know, it, if you say you prefer sheets in Philadelphia, like it's, I think it's one of the most offensive things you can say in this city. Um, People get really mad at you. They do. They really do. I think the only time I've had someone get more mad at me for such an insignificant thing was when I lived in Boston for a little bit. And whenever I would tell people I am not into sports, like, how dare you? People in Boston How dare you? take it so Man, that's seriously. Why I don't like Boston. <laughs> I, I I love visiting Boston. I hated living in Boston. Mm. Uh, and yeah, I'll take it back. We we had a great weekend in Boston in 2019. So yeah, it Boston's. Fun. I feel like Boston's a great city to go for the weekend. But living there, yeah. I, I was. Yeah. Anyway, we're not here to talk about yes. when I lived in Boston. Um, <laughs> What we should do, we do have to take a break, but before we do, uh, let's talk about one more song. And I believe next on the list is Wallflower in Red Lipstick. Yeah, so I mean, Wallflower in Red Lipstick is about a lot of things. The part that's mentioned in the title is just kind of the idea of wanting to express yourself in a way that makes you visible, but you're not necessarily comfortable with the attention or like trying to get attention, you know? Like if you dress in a really outrageous way or something, just because it's how you express yourself, the way people react to it isn't necessarily the reaction that you're trying to get, or at least that was mm-hmm. my experience, you know, that you could be a shy or introverted person and just trying to like be yourself in a way that feels authentic, but then you have to deal with like other people's reactions to that or opinions or comments or whatever, and how that can feel yes. uncomfortable. Um, and yeah, somehow I guess like I took it back, like at the beginning of the song when I'm talking about the kids that I was hanging out with, like when I was younger, when I first got into punk that, um, you know, I, I just experienced a lot of like kind of judgment and, and gatekeeping as other people have said, when they listen to this song, that's what they hear in it. Um, the idea of like, you know, you're in the punk scene, which is supposedly about being different, but this is the only way to be different. This is the only way to dress. This is the only like set Mm -hmm. of bands to like, and just like having such enthusiasm 
for discovering this scene and like genuine interest in certain bands and like certain ways that I want to express myself and then having other people kind of just like share their unsolicited opinions on that, you know, like, oh, well, that band is cool. Like, and that man's not cool to like. And like, why are you wearing that? You know, it's like, it's just so So uncool because like just the beauty of DIY is that it's a space where like, yeah, we're all weird. (laughs) Like we don't necessarily fit in, in normal settings and we all should have this freedom to kind of explore who we are and how we want to express that. So it just feels really Mm -hmm. bad to be in that kind of space and then have people who are kind of projecting their own insecurities on you or their own like fear of being too weird or whatever by telling you not to be so weird or telling you like that you have to be a certain way. There's the line in the song, I don't want to be visible, I just want to be seen. That line, the first time I heard it, uh, I was making breakfast in my kitchen when I put this record on for the first time and it stopped me dead in my tracks when I heard that line because it was like, not to get super personal here, but uh, just this past Friday in therapy, like I was talking to my therapist about like doing things like changing the way you present yourself and how like you want to do it because like you want to express yourself in, in the way that you feel. But like, it's really frustrating. Everyone's like, oh, hey, you got new glasses or like, oh, you, you shaved your beard or like, and it's like, I don't want you to comment on it. I just want you to treat me like it's normal. And it was like, and trying to like put that into words. And I was like, there's the, there's the sentence I've been looking for this whole time. I just, I love those moments of, of like connecting with, with a lyric or with music so much that it's just like that. That's the feeling I've been having this whole time and haven't been able to put into words and someone finally did. So just, I just want to say thank you for that line in in particular, but the the whole song was very relatable for me. Thank you for sharing your experience. That is, yeah, really powerful. And exactly what I hope to do as a songwriter, you know, to have those moments of connection with people where um, they get it because, you know, Selfishly, that makes me feel less alone too. To know that I'm yeah. not the only one who's who's felt that. Yeah, I, I imagine yeah. that that has to go both ways, right? Like it's you know, for, as 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 someone who like you know consumes music and a lot of music, it's you know a lot of times like hearing stuff like that, it's nice to know like oh, I'm not the only one that feels this way. Someone else does, and they've put it into a song. But I imagine I never really thought about it until you just said it. But I imagine it must feel the same way when people come up to you and say like, Hey, I really like this thing. You wrote really resonate with me. Cause that's them telling you, like, I also feel this. And that's so that you don't feel as alone. That's, uh, I never really thought about like the, the reverse of that, but that's actually really cool. Yeah. I think that was always for me really at the forefront of why I wanted to write songs. Cause it was really like from the lyrics rather than the music were like my focus and just like, you know, being in college and just being angsty and like feeling like, okay, if I, if I had this feeling and I was able to express it through a song and someone else could hear it and tell me that, um, that they felt the same and that, you know, that would really help me. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad yeah. we could just share that moment just now then. That's, that's great. <laughs> yes. That song also makes me think about like, cause you know, I, when Kiri brings these songs to the band, like the first thing I do is figure out like vocal harmonies usually. So I just end up listening to the songs over and over and like learning the lyrics. So sometimes I don't even, like, it's fun for me, or fun isn't the right word, but it's cool for me to listen to you talk about this because I think sometimes the lyrics are, I don't remember what they mean all the time because I'm just so used to memorizing them and singing them. And then, like, and I'm thinking more about, like, the music and, like, did I sing that right or whatever. And I don't always look at the lyrics, but I'm realizing, like, this song, it just makes me think about the fact that, like, and not this isn't only a problem for folks that, Uh, you know who are female or non-binary but it definitely is more of a problem for us that like 
you know, just you're, you are public property kind of like there's way more of a feeling of like by wearing something or, or, you know, looking a certain way that you people are invited to like comment on it. Like, and it sucks. And like the one thing this, this is something I realized this year is like having my face covered for a lot of the time and like being kind you know, like it made it so like, I just didn't get like talked to by weirdos as much. Um, and it's like kind of a bummer that like, I have to cover my freaking face for that to stop yeah. happening so much. Mm-hmm. But like, I, and I know I'm not alone in this. Uh, other friends have talked to me about this too. It's like, I feel a little bit safer with this mask on my face, which just like, it's depressing. <laughs> and, and not for the right reason, right? Like you don't feel safer right. for, for like health reasons. It's just, you feel safer because people leave you alone. And that's unfortunate. Like, that yeah, is... it's like why people wear earbuds when they're not listening to anything. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we go ahead and hear Wallflower and Red Lipstick and we'll take a quick break and hear from our sponsors this week. And when we come back, we'll keep talking to uh, Kiri and Heidi about some more songs off of the new uh, Early Riser record, Vocations. So stay tuned. The kids who value being different, but only in one way, we're always the worst. Tolerated me for liking the right band, but then mocked me for not knowing them first. And then there was... Did you ever know that kid who was an insufferable know-it-all? Well, now he has a podcast. Join Michael Fight on Fight Knows About Everything. Every Monday and Wednesday, he brings a new trending internet topic and breaks it down to shed light on the absurdity. And then on Fridays, comes with a weekly recap of all the nonsense in the news. Listen wherever you get podcasts or watch on the Night Shift Radio YouTube channel.
You're still listening to Left of the Dial. I am still Kitsy. Caleb is still unacceptable. I just, you know what? I've, I've, I've accepted it. Well, I don't know what to say to that, but. <laughs> well, don't. Well, don't. Uh, I haven't. So, uh, no, that's, that's not true. I, I regret. I accept you, Caleb. Yeah. I, Thank you. I, yeah, I, I regret funny. picking that word. I, I regret that. It was the next one on the list, and I feel bad about it. I'm going to have to pick a really good one next week. It's like not as, as mean or. It's all right. I forgive you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, And we, of course, are still talking to Kiri and Heidi from Early Riser about their new record, Vocations, which is out uh, today, streaming everywhere. And uh, is there is there a physical uh, version of this record out somewhere or like? So the record will be available streaming everywhere today. And today is also when pre-orders open for vinyl. And uh, the vinyl is beautiful. I'm saying that very objectively, but like, no, it's really pretty. So yeah, order a vinyl. What uh, what makes it so pretty? Well, it was a big discussion. It was very much a group decision. Um, some of it looks like flames and some of it looks like kind of cool and salmon-y. And um, we just, uh, it's fun to, picking the color of your vinyl is just fun. It's like still my favorite thing. Nice. Um, but it was a long discussion. <laughs> <laughs> like lots of emails. Like, I don't know, man. <laughs> Will that be on uh, the Bandcamp page, or is there a separate merch page that y'all have? Yeah, it'll be on Bandcamp. Um, um, no, the vinyl is going to be through AF Records' website. JK. Oh, well, then I'll make sure I link both things. Yeah, so, okay, I'm glad you said that, because I, I saw this was coming out on AF Records and then thought, huh, that's weird, and then completely forgot about it. Uh, this is... Now, I, I say this in... Uh, with the the caveat that I haven't really been paying close attention to what AF Records has been doing lately, but this is not the kind of record I would expect to be on AF Records. Uh, how did that come about? And is this is your first record with them? Is that uh, is that true? Um, no. Uh, no, our last record was co-released by Anchorless Records and AF. Um, uh, yeah, we hooked up with Neil from Anchorless, and he was excited to put it out, but he was also getting really busy with his day job and kind of phasing out the label. So we said, hey, I'm happy to put this out, but I really need to find another label to put it out with me to um, to help with the work. So he was showing it to a lot of folks and didn't seem to be sticking. And then he showed it to, I believe, Christo, who's the label head at AF. Um, he showed him our video for The Nevers and he liked it. And I guess they were you know, just actively looking for more bands and particularly I think bands with women in them. And, um, and we were just so stoked when he told us that AF was going to be the band to co-release it. And, uh, now that Anchorless has phased out and stopped putting out records, we're really glad that AF continued to want to work with us for this one. And, um, yeah, everyone there is so nice. The guys in Anti-Flag are incredible. We got to open for them last Halloween in New York. Um, so cool. And we've made connections with other folks from the label, like um, the Homeless Gospel Choir that Heidi mentioned earlier and Mike Frazier. And yeah, it's just such an awesome experience to join a label family and then just sort of have that access to message someone and be like, hey, we just joined the label. Like, we love your stuff, want to play shows together. And and everyone is just so nice and, and open to that. Very cool. That's awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. AF has a record club. Um, so if you join the record club, you get uh, you pay a fee, you get insert, you just get a bunch of records that were released in the year. And I feel like our record is probably a surprise to a lot of people that like get their bundle from AF. But then like, I don't know, one time we played a show in Virginia Beach to a bunch of bros and they bought all of our T-shirts. So we never know That's who's going to awesome. like our band. <laughs> 
Those are the best shows when like you'd think like no one here is gonna like this and they just they buy everything you have. It was wild. <laughs> like we were like, oh, this is not like legit. Somebody had gotten in a fight outside the bar and like there was blood on the sidewalk and like the, the door was place broken called glass. <laughs> yeah. We were just like, oh, I don't know about this. It's sort of weird. Uh not sure how this is gonna go, but all right, let's do it. And we played it. And afterwards, like, and people were like into it and talked to us after they like bought almost all of our t-shirts and we were just like That's all so right awesome. cool like and, it was really nice yeah and like we were the only women on the bill but then like we stood out from the other six bands that were playing that night you know and yeah like sometimes it can be vulnerable being like the only women or the only whatever of your whatever identity you have um on a show but then it yeah. also gives you an opportunity you know to uh just kind of broaden people's horizons and let them like you if they like you, you know, instead of being like, oh, this is, this is a dude punk scene. This is a dude punk show. Everyone here is a dude. They only like dude bands. It's <laughs> like, well, like that's not necessarily true, you know, yeah. give them the benefit of the doubt that if they hear something different, then maybe they'll like it and come up to you and buy your purple t-shirt with a cat pentagram on it, you know, and tell you that they <laughs> like your stuff. Like, um, yes. just because, you know, I think, so often in the scene with labels or shows or tour packages or whatever, like there's just so much of the same. Right. And that's mm -hmm. like the easy, mm -hmm. safe bet to, um, to take on bands that sound like other bands because that is likely to sell and people who like those other bands are likely to like it, but that is so yeah. boring. And mm -hmm. that yes. is completely, exactly. uh, shutting out like any kind of diversity in the scene. And, um, yeah, we're always happy to, uh, be a different voice and be an advocate for having more different voices. Yeah. Like some of the shows, some of the bigger opening slots we've done were like really intimi intimidating. Um, like when we opened for the hold study in Boston, like we were like, and they're my favorite band, like of all time. Like when I got that email, I just like the blood ran out of my face. I was just like, are you kidding <laughs> That's me? Amazing. Um, no, it's, it was really lovely of them to have us. And like the thing that's, I think it's, there are certain fandoms that are like a little bit more open. Like I would say anti-flags fandom is a little more open. Like they were really cool mm -hmm. when we played, when we opened for anti-flag, I'm sure we weren't what they were expecting. Uh, and same thing for hold study. I don't think we were what they were, ex the audience was expecting, but like people were into it. And like, I think for us, it's just cool to find spaces where like we aren't exactly what they expect, but they have a good time. And yeah, it's not for, I mean, like <laughs> somebody reviewed that show and called us cute basically, which was great. Um, just, okay. We're all, we're like, I'm an adult I'm 35. I'm not, <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's like, I um, can say I'm cute. You can't say I'm yeah. cute. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, somehow in that, in that context, it really comes off as like, you know, condescending or patronizing. Absolutely. Right? Like, I, like I'm mm -hmm. sure it was meant to be a compliment. At least I hope it was, but I think it was, but it was like, I was like, of course. Of course you said that. Yeah. There's so um, many other words you, know you could what? have used there. <laughs> yeah. But it didn't, like, it didn't ruin our good time. Like, we had an amazing time. And, like, so many people came up to us afterwards and, like, talked to us about our music. And it was just really cool. And um, it makes it a little bit easier to be, like, the fact that we've had that experience a few times now makes it a little bit easier to be like, yeah, we're going to be the different ones here. But, like, so far that's gone over pretty well. <laughs> I feel like people who review music need to take lessons from the Food Network where they're like, don't use the word delicious or good or tasty. Like, describe the experience. 
And so, like, don't go see a band like Early Riser and say they were cute or had a cello. Like, describe the music. Like, describe how it made you feel. You can even say I had a cello. That's one of the most like, cool, unique it, things about the band. There, you know, but like, like, yeah. Don't, like, yeah, I think it's interesting that we have a different lineup than any other band that I know of in the scene. You know, that we have acoustic guitar and cello and bass and drums and four people singing. Like, that's yeah. cool. It it makes us stand out. Um, yeah, there's plenty of other stuff to talk about without calling us like cute or twee. Sometimes people like almost talk about it that way, like. We're not twee. We're not really like indie pop. I mean, it's poppy, but like just, I don't know. It just feels coded sometimes in the language that people use that they just associate it as soon as they like hear two women singing. Yeah, like I'm not going to deny that there's like rainbows all over our stuff. Like that's you know, that's a <laughs> that's thing. That's my aesthetic. Literally sometimes. Separate from my songwriting uh, <laughs> sensibilities, and that, I'm owning but it. You can, it's cool. Um, but you can kind of feel when somebody's like, "This is cool. I like the rainbows," or they're like, "Rainbows, huh?" Yeah. <laughs> That's what you want. You're like, oh, you're wearing a <laughs> pink petticoat. Your music must be really like vapid and cutesy. And it's like, did you listen to it? <laughs> you could talk about how like every one of these songs has like a like a rock and like pop punk beat and like a rip and lead, but the lead is done on a cello. Yeah. And like like you you hear exactly what you would hear if someone was shredding guitar, but like it's uh, it's string and it's swelling and it's it's like it's beautiful and then like it's fleshed out by an acoustic guitar which like you don't expect but it works so well and like you can talk about that without being oh it was cute (laughs) and like that's why i say like reviewers need to do better yeah like even i didn't do well just then but like i feel it's it's more than most music reviews that i read that was great you know caleb you you tried and that's the important part (laughs) (laughs) i mean much respect to mikey and nicole like I mean, when they joined, it just, like, changed everything. Like, um, you know, we feel so, like, Nicole, it was so funny, we joke, like, Nicole moved from Boston to New York, and, like, everybody always wants a bass player, everyone's always looking for a bass player, and, like, we got Nicole, like, right after she moved to New York, before she was, had before, like, ten other people asked her to be in a band. (laughs) Uh, So we were like, we got her. (laughs) Nice. And then Mikey saying yes to us was just, like, a shock. Um, because we figured he was too busy and he was like, yeah, sure. And we were like, oh, 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 okay. Okay, great. And then like just making a record with them and we did a couple, uh, covers with them before we actually went in and made this record. And then all of us sang on this record, which we hadn't always done before. And just like hearing Nicole's voice, like how Nicole sings and how Mikey sings, like Mikey has one of the best punk rock singing voices ever. Like not even punk rock, just like a great distinctive voice. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, I don't know, sometimes I'm just like, why don't we have him sing on every single track? He should just sing all the time. Same thing with Nicole, which I think we're getting more towards. Yeah. <laughs> no, he does. He has he has a very like distinctive voice. Like it's unmistakable. Like you hear it like that's Mikey Erg. And yep. and that's so cool to have like that that trademark. Um, but it's it's also it's it's also fun for me. Like I, I know as someone who's been like listening to bands, he's been in for, you know, over a decade now like it, it's it's always cool and like his voice pops up somewhere i'm not expecting it i'm like oh it's a mike yeah. Yeah. cool because <laughs> uh, <laughs> like that's the thing you never know and it, he could be anywhere and <laughs> it's just, it's fun to see that pop up sometimes 
Yeah. I feel like a lot of bands will like if you have multiple people in the band that can sing, they'll do it live. Like if you have harmonies, they'll they'll figure out a way to do it live. But like, not enough bands take advantage of all of the vocal talent that they have when making a record. Yes, and like really explore what. Uh, what kind of dynamic and what kind of depth you can have with that many voices. And that was something that like really stood out and like really appreciated about this record. Caleb, I get it. I'm sorry I didn't let you sing on my record, okay? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how many times I have to tell you I'm sorry. I'm more than just a live backup vocalist for you, (laughs) (laughs) Kitty. Oh, but yeah. You're also also my bass player and podcast host and (laughs) whatever. I really (laughs) agree with that, though. Um, yeah, just what you said, Caleb. I, I've definitely <laughs> seen bands live where they have everyone singing and there's an awesome harmony and I'm so attuned to harmonies. I just love them so much. And then I'll yeah. listen to their record and it's there, but it's like super buried. And I'm like, dude, the best part is when the bassist sings that high harmony on the chorus and you buried it in the mix. Why did you do that? <laughs> or they just have like, you know, you've, you've got the singer and that person just does all of the, the harmonies. Mm-hmm. Like... And, like, no one else is involved at all. Which, like, don't get me wrong, that can still sound very good, mm-hmm. but, like, try something different. Yeah. Step out a little bit. Yeah. I will say that I figured out how to multi-track myself the other day because I'm, like, playing for someone else's record. And, nice. like, I knew that I could eventually figure that out. I knew it wasn't beyond me. I just, like, hadn't. Mm-hmm. Um, like, not to be, like, I'm such a genius. I just mean, like, I just hadn't figured it out. Yeah. And I did, and I was so delighted by the result that now I'm, like fuck that loop pedal I bought two years ago. I got to figure out how to use that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yes. I was, I, I know. Surprise Kiri. Like, well, she knows she, I, cause I sent her the thing and I was like, look what I did. And, and I, I'm sure you were just like, okay, No, great. I loved I it. It was to- like three different <laughs> harmonies of the cello. I'm all, I'll have six part harmonies. I'll have all four of us singing and three harmonies on the cello. Like there's never too many harmonies for me. So yeah. No, I know, but like when I was like, I bought a loop pedal. That's like where it stopped. I bought a loop pedal at the end. Like I didn't do anything with it. So I also now I'm inspired. Yeah. That's extremely relatable. I also own a loop pedal. I've almost never used. <laughs> there's, there's an. <laughs> so now I'm gonna figure it there's out. There's like a learning curve and an art to it. I think, and I know for me, it was like I wasn't good at it right away, so I stopped doing it, <laughs> which is mm-hmm. you know relatable. something that happens to me a lot. Um, yeah. Which I should I should really work on that, but. Um, but yeah, getting back to the harmony thing, though, like that's one thing that really stood out to me right away is like just the harmonies all over the place on this record. And as, as someone who is also a sucker for harmonies, like I really appreciated that because um, I, I feel like a lot of times like I, don't, I feel like a lot of bands especially don't do enough harmonies. And so it's, it's nice to see a band that's just got them like everywhere. Mm-hmm. I just watched the Bee Gees documentary last night and it's so good if you haven't seen it. Please watch it. It's so good. I didn't know there was a BG's documentary. Oh my gosh. It's so good. It's on HBO Max. But so they sang together when they were like five years old and then like sang together until they like basically two of them died, three of them died. And they talked about how like they could sing in harmony with each other and it would just come out of nowhere. Like they just knew who would be on which part and like who needed to like back off the mic if like someone was singing a higher note and like they just had we're so attuned to each other and like watching it just that it was just, I had never thought of them like that. Like I just didn't know that they'd been doing it for so long. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that we're like the Bee Gees, but I will say that Kiri and I have been singing together for a long time. And at this point, like when she sends me a song, I can hear what I'm going to sing before I even sing it. Nice. Um, 
which like is cool. And I think that was like one of the very first things we did when we started playing together um, was that I started writing vocal harmonies for your songs. And um, after we did that, like, I think for just a couple of songs, we were like, wow, this is really fun. Let's do this all the time. <laughs> yeah. To the point where like, you know, producers started encouraging us to maybe pull back and not harmonize every single line so that like it hits more, you How know, if they? you do like the first and third line of the chorus, but not the second and fourth or whatever. Um, just, yeah. So it doesn't become like such you know a what? part of it that you don't even notice it. Yeah. It worked for Alice in Chains. It can work for anyone. <laughs> Now, as, as uh, I, I know that's that's a thing I struggle with when, when producing, actually, is like, you know, especially if something's working so well and it's so cool, like like good harmony. It's like, when when do you rein that back in? Because like you said, if it's if it's there all the time, then it might as well not be there at all because it doesn't have as much impact. And it's, it's like it's hard to sometimes it's, it's really hard to pull back and say, like, OK, we're not going to do this thing that's super cool here so that when we do it there, it's bigger and, and cooler. Uh, and that's, yeah. that's a skill I'm still, I'm still working on myself. Um, I think it's, it's really hard to do. Um, it just occurred to me, we've been talking for a while since we came back from the break and didn't mention that we heard drop the torch, uh, <laughs> coming back in, uh, and didn't even, didn't even talk about the track. Uh, but we should, because it's, it's a great song. Um, this is another one that, that, uh, had, had a line in it that, that, uh, really stuck with me. But, uh, do you want, do you want to talk about this one a little bit? Why don't you tell me what line stuck with you? I was hoping you'd talk about it. It would come up naturally, but because uh, uh, I don't, I don't remember the exactly the line goes. But it's something like um, "looking up at you is hurting my neck," or how, what, how, "how's the line go?" Looking up to you is hurting my neck. That's a great line. But yeah, that Thank was another. One. I was like, that's so clever, and also, damn, that hits hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know that that. Um, that it's so hard. It's like I, songwriters always say this that when they look back at like writing something they just don't remember how they wrote it. That I, that line just like came to me, you know, as kind of bottoming out on this feeling of like, you know, you can get really obsessed with other people who are successful in your network and just like really um, like attached to the idea that you need their approval. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, like you can look up to someone so much that it just becomes painful. But yeah, there's a line in the song that's like, um, if you still believe they're better, then you'll still believe you're worse. Mm -hmm. So like if you're so attached to the idea of someone else being so amazing and you're kind of like idolizing them and looking up to them, then that actually hurts your own self-esteem. Because if they're better, then like by comparison, you're never going to match up. And it's really hard uh, yeah, to just feel good about yourself if you're just clinging so much to this idea of like, they're so great. If only like I could work with them or if only they like wanted to be my friend or approved of me or like X, Y, Z, or if only I could be like them, like then you're, you're never really going to be able to just focus on like yourself and what is good about what you do. So I had kind of hit a point with that. Um, where I was like, yeah, this is painful. Like this doesn't feel good and it's making me feel bad about myself. So maybe I need to reevaluate like, you know, the relationship I have in my mind to certain people that I've just like mm -hmm. looked up to for so long in a way that is not like healthy for me. Yeah. I'll also say, I think something that we've learned, or at least that I've learned is that everybody feels that way. Yep. Can confirm. Everybody yeah. feels that way. Yeah. Um, everyone has someone else that they're like, oh my God, I was just as good as that person or da da da. So, um, yeah. 
I, I'm not going to ask you to to name anyone here, but is this song about a, a particular person or just kind of the, the concept in general? Because it, it does is. it does kind of feel like you're singing to a specific person. Yeah, I mean, I think the impetus was more around like the impetus to write it immediately in that moment was just kind of more around the music scene and like wanting so badly to like open for a certain band and not being picked for that and being like, oh, I wanted that so bad. I look up to this person so much. But then it, yeah, it went back to sort of a story of someone that I grew up with in my school who was older, who I idolized so much, always wanted to be their friend. They went on to succeed in their field. Um, uh, and yeah, just do really well and be famous and stuff. Um, not within our realm of music, but another creative field. And, um, I don't know, like they would occasionally kind of like come back into my life and I would always be like, no, we're going to be best friends. And then it just kind of kept not happening. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's like not a great feeling to just sort of like hold on for so long to the idea that like your life would be better if this person who's so talented and cool, like wanted to be your friend. Um, but then, yeah, I sort of like, I had always wanted to write about that, but didn't know how. So then I was kind of able to through that, what I was experiencing that moment around just like wanting to get certain opportunities with certain people and realizing how attached I was to that in a way that wasn't healthy. Like to be like, oh yeah, this person has to pick me to open for them or everything's going to be terrible. It's like, what? Like, who am I to say that I'm the right person for that opportunity or that I'd be happier, you know, if I had that one opportunity or if I was friends with that person, like what's meant to be is meant to be. And ultimately you have to choose to surround yourself with people who do appreciate you for what you're doing. Cause chasing that carrot yeah. of like, Oh, if that person like me or value me, that's, that's not real. We have a couple more songs to talk about. And the next one you picked was the narrator. I gave my bait in the scene with poison. Oh, no. 
This is a song that I've been trying to write for a really long time. Uh, you know, earlier I mentioned that I used to go to hardcore shows when I was younger, also like a lot of emo shows. And um, yeah, I had this very acute awareness of not seeing myself on stage. And not only that, but like, you know, singing along with a lot of lyrics that were misogynistic or just in general, like about women in um, like a not positive way. And sometimes I loved those songs and enjoyed singing along with them and just sort of the general catharsis. But at the same time, um, you know, I, I was just aware, you know, like it wasn't something I could ignore that, uh, that there were almost no women in the entire scene. Um, and yeah, I'm just like how, how hard that was. Um, and how damaging it can be, you know, for people who, uh, like see themselves as wanting to be on that stage and wanting to be like the people that they see up there, but there's no one like them that they see there. So, um, yeah. So it sort of starts like with my personal experience, but then ends up being kind of a broader manifesto of just the importance of, um, diversity and inclusion in music scenes so that everyone, uh, everyone's voice is valued, uh, especially if their voice is often not heard, you know, because for anyone who, you know, is underrepresented in the scene, there are other people in the scene with that identity who are not seeing themselves reflected on stage and they need that, you know, that representation Mm -hmm. as a reminder that they can and, and should do it, you know, and the more it happens, the more it just sort of just like feeds into being a healthy scene with a diversity of voices being lifted up. I obviously don't have the problem of not seeing myself represented in the music scene. I think that that's pretty, pretty clear. But like, I remember even being like younger and going to shows and thinking like, this is all the same. Yeah. And like, why? Like I didn't, you being naive and not understanding how the world works. Like, why aren't there more women? Like, why aren't there more people of color? Like, why aren't there other, uh, other groups represented on stage here and not, not getting it? Yeah. Like, (laughs) oh, I guess they just don't want to. And yeah, I guess they're just not into that's this. not the case, <laughs> which is super but, not um, true. A lot of people like believed that, you know, yeah. like, mm-hmm. oh, they must yeah. just not be in this scene. They must be interested in yeah. something else. And like, no, it's like you're shutting them out and making yeah. this a uh, yeah. really hostile, inhospitable place because yeah. you're making a decision via the people that you give opportunities and people you put on stage and book and put on record labels and stuff like you're you're making a statement of who is wanted and who belongs and who is allowed in this space i just wanted to mention that this made me think of war on women because they were invited to go on warp tour and shauna i honestly don't remember if she said this to me or if i read it somewhere but shauna said that First of all, them being part of Warped Tour was just wild in the first place. Like, there was no other band like them on Warped Tour. Mm-hmm. And she said that people kept coming up to her and being like, I'm so glad that you were on this because I've been going to Warped Tour for years and years and years and I've never seen another woman up there. Or I've never seen someone who sings about feminism and abortions like on stage and like, thank you for being yeah. here, yeah. basically. Yeah. But I thought that was really, really cool. And that was like a huge decision for them to put themselves in a space where they weren't going to be like anyone else who was there. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of people just don't feel comfortable doing that, understandably. And it is hard to make the decision to be like the first or the only one, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. I could see that decision going like either way of saying like we don't want to participate in this because it's you know such a boys' club, and there's you know such an underrepresentation of of women and you know people who aren't you know straight white men basically uh, on the stages. But then to turn around and say like no, we're going to go ahead and be that representation. I think is is super cool uh, and, and like making that decision because it's like okay, well, no one else is 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 you know representing. Uh, you know, we're, we're not seeing our, ourselves up there. So we're going to go be up there, which is, I, you know, a huge, like bold stance to take and a super scary thing to do. And I always appreciate it when I see people do that. Cause it's like, we need more of that. Cause the, yeah. the more it happens, the more it'll happen. And then yeah. we'll eventually get to a point where it's not a huge brave thing. And it's just like, Oh cool. You're doing it too. All right. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. But yeah. then there also has to be like, willingness within those spaces to change. So one of the amazing things that Warren Women did is, you know, partner up with activist groups and start conversations about, you know, like bystander intervention if someone is being uh, mistreated at a show or harassed and um, just like how to make a a safer scene because that just has to happen like in tandem, you know? You can't just say, um, Kitsy, you were mentioning earlier, like just a sort of tokenization Mm-hmm. around, you know, in booking women or people of color or queer people, et cetera, at a show and how that can't, that's not the point. The point isn't to just tick off a box and have someone who looks different on the bill. The point is to include everyone and make them feel included and listen to them about what needs mm-hmm. to change uh, in, you know, the environment of that show or festival or anything so that um, so that they will feel comfortable so that fans of different identities will feel comfortable <coughs> and yeah. And not just assume that like you've done a good deed by just like throwing one different band on the bill. Like that's never going to be enough. And, and many times like that band will not have a good experience and that mm-hmm. makes it even yeah. worse. You know, if they end up feeling, um, tokenized and kind of used, they just want to get out there and play their music and connect with people just like everyone else. It's such a strange thing to me because I I know how valuable it is to see myself on there and uh, to like to feel my experiences in music and to think that like so many people don't get that and like everyone deserves that and everyone needs that and to, like it it's it's not hard to understand but it's hard to accept that like that's the the world that we've created yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a bummer, but I, I feel like it's it's slowly, very slowly making progress back in, in, in the other direction, uh, which is which is cool. I mean, it's, you know, certainly not fast enough or big enough uh, as it should be. But at least I feel like it's at least a little better now than it was, you know, five years ago than it was 10 years ago. Um, for sure. You know, do, I mean, do you all feel that like do, I mean, you've been in, in, around in the scene for a long time? Do you? Do you like, do you think that's true? Yeah, I think it's gotten better, but I mean, it ha- like you said, it has a long way to go. Um, like, punk is still an extremely white space, mm-hmm. and like, not just white people make punk music. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I do think we have a really long way to go in that space. But I think I personally feel like, because I used to be, you know, we used to be talent bookers, and like, I'm now understanding that like, I probably was part of the problem at one point. Like, you know, where I felt like I had to like fill quotas or check boxes or whatever. Cause I didn't really understand what it was about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't want to speak for Carrie. Like maybe it was just me that was thinking that way, but like, I think that I still have a lot to learn. I think all of us do. Um, but 
you can't change anything if you're like afraid of having the conversations that you need mm-hmm. to have. And it's not, it's sometimes it's messy and sometimes people get mad at each other and feelings are hurt. But like, I think it's long overdue. I really hope that once we're all able to play shows again, that everyone will just, I just like, I for one just realize like what we have in shows mm-hmm. and what we've been missing this year. Yeah. Like, I am so excited to go to a show and have my feet hurt. Like, I can't wait. (laughs) You know, like, um, it just, there's something so special about what we get to do and who we get to play with that. Like I really took for granted, like big time. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, even some of the smallest shows we've ever played, we still had a blast. I don't know. I think we sort of got a chance here to kind of hit reset in some ways and try to, because all the venues are closing in New York, which is another big problem um same here in philly it's it's really fucked up like the okay so like they have another five years on their lease but like the mercury lounge building is up for sale i'm not okay but hopefully some of this will help us figure out how to do this more sustainably also going forward hopefully yeah well i believe we've come to the end uh of our show here uh we do have one more song to talk about which is uh blood on canvas that we'll hear uh, going out. But uh, before we do, uh, where can people find you online? Uh, yeah, well, as you mentioned earlier, our record is out today on streaming platforms and you can buy or pre-order the vinyl from AF Records. Uh, you can find us at earlyrisermusic.com and on all of the social media platforms. We're not awesome, all of man. them. We're not on TikTok, but yes, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. <laughs> Yet. 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 <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I love TikTok, but I don't think I'd be good at it. I, I, I feel like I, I downloaded TikTok and looked at it and I was like, I think I'm too old for this. Like, I, th- I think There's... I think I've reached the age where, like, I can no longer like I have to stick with the platforms that I know because these new ones are too weird for me. There's a lot of like weird young stuff that the, the, the youths are doing that I don't understand. But there's some comedy gold on it that like, keeps me coming back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. I, I know. I, I know I'm getting older because I will see uh, people post like videos from TikTok on Instagram and that's how I see them. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's like, yeah, that's, I think now I know. Yep. Now I get it. <laughs> I remember my sister-in-law who's 14 years younger than my wife saying like, nobody uses Instagram anymore. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah. Like, TikTok is, once the algorithm kind of learns what you like, um, it gets a little more fun in my experience. Mm -hmm. Like right now it knows that I like senior citizens in the South who happen to be liberal yelling at people. (laughs) That's my, that's one of my, like, just like responding to like, because there's like this, there's like all these Trumpy people and like this woman who's like, name the things that will trigger a snowflake. And someone's like wearing a little tiny piece of cloth on your face (laughs) to keep you from... Getting a deadly disease, having flipping out about a tiny piece of claw, calling it a diaper. And I'm just like, this is, I give me this. Yes. More of this, please. More. And also, obviously, animals also. Oh, um, always. always animals. Cats. Yeah. Blood on Canvas is the last song we're going to talk about today, which is fitting because it's also the last song on the record. That's all. That's all. Cute. Yeah. I yeah. I definitely, I, I love albums. I love the idea of writing albums that are thematic and, uh, this is definitely a song that like was uh, uh, from the get-go going to be the last song on the record and um, kind of like a bookend with 
vocations, you know, starting from like, what, what do you do? What do you care about? To then this kind of being like, what feels like an artist statement, you know, like, are we artists? Are we fighters? Like all of the above, you know? Um, and just really doubling down on that decision of like, yeah, this is what I care about. Um, uh, yeah, I wouldn't do this if I didn't need to. That's something that I actually, I listened to the episode that you just did with Mikey Irk and he said something essentially like to that effect, um, you know, about playing in so many bands, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's how a lot of musicians feel that regardless of success or external things, like this is just what we need to do. And in that moment when I wrote it, that's just what I needed to kind of hear and assert for myself, you know, to kind of just let go of all the other distractions and other things that I've written about on the record that can get in the way, like, you know, focusing on other people's success or things like that, that like, yeah, above all, like I do this because I need to, and I want to, and that is what's important. Learning throughout this last hour and a half or so, like the, the background uh, of your band, like the history of the, you know, your two meeting and then like fleshing out a rhythm section. Like I can picture all of these songs, which like just played by the two of you and they're fantastic. Um, but what, like what this rhythm section brings to these tracks is so killer. It's, it's so, so like a strong backing to every one of these tracks. Uh, and I feel like, uh, especially the last couple that we've talked about, the, the bass uh, lines really stand out to me and just like how, uh, how rich those are and how much they, they support the song makes my heart happy. <laughs> Thanks. That's really nice. We can play some of those songs as a duo, but some of them were just like, no, like metronome heart is like Mikey. We need Mikey for that song. <laughs> yeah. And like drop the torches, Nicole. And uh, yeah, we have still continued to play, especially remotely some, a few acoustic shows, but yeah, we, we know like what's on the yes list and the no list, especially stuff that as you really got into the flow of writing with the full band right away, instead of us first and then them, like you can really like see that really comes through in the record of things that were really shaped by the bass or the drums that you just, you need all of us in order to have the song. Yeah. Otherwise you have to like strip it down and completely rearrange it. And then like, which can be nice, you know, that, that can always be a cool thing too. Uh, Yeah. But who has the time? I mean, (laughs) don't we all right now? (laughs) I don't know. I, I feel like I have less time during the pandemic than I did before. And I'm not sure how that works. Because I Mm -hmm. don't have as much to do. (laughs) I hear you. Cool. Well, we are way over time here, but this has been an absolute delight uh, having you both on the show. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for sharing your new record with us. Uh, I know I personally will be listening to it a lot uh, going forward, and I'm very excited. uh, As someone who was not aware of your band until uh, until y'all emailed us uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, (laughs) I am very happy to say I'm now a big fan. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. This has been amazing. Yeah, this has been one of the better uh, ways to spend an hour and a half in quarantine-ish. I'm I'm glad to hear that. Thank you for having me. It's always nice to know people enjoy talking to us because sometimes I wonder. (laughs) 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 Not good time. Hopefully hopefully people enjoy listening to us as well, but uh, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe they do. At least least one person does. At least one person does. So, and you know what? That's, that's enough for me. That's enough for me too. And that person's probably my mom. Hi mom. (laughs) Hi mom. (laughs) My mom listens to the podcast. I I think that's adorable. Mama Kits is great. I love that. I love Mama Kits. Vocations by Early Riser out now streaming everywhere. You can pre-order it from uh, AF Records. We will have links to all that 
uh, down below in the show notes. Uh, definitely catch them on tour once touring is a thing that bands can do again because, you know, everyone misses that, I'm sure. And uh, yes. yeah, great record. Definitely check it out. This has been Left to the Dial. I have been Kitsy. Caleb has been Coy. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.